0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast starring myself, Marcus, and my main man, Frankie. Frank, what's going on? We had an exciting week of tennis last week, or at least kind of exciting. We were hoping for a little bit more, but uh, what's going on? Uh, Yeah, I think
1: we both had higher expectations for this ATP World Tour. I mean, in fairness, we did get some really terrific matches, um, but... I think that the final rounds were very underwhelming, meaning the semifinals and the final was not really super compelling tennis, but there were some good matches sprinkled in there. Is it as good as compared to previous years? Probably not, my opinion, but Marcus, I think, you know, we'll we'll talk about some of the big stories of this one. I think there's really one big clear story from this, really. Novak Djokovic is still the best player on the planet? Question mark. I think so. Even with Carlos Alcaraz not being there, I'd still pick him.
0: For yeah, for me he is, and he just proved it. Um, obviously Carlos being there would have would have changed a couple of things, uh, especially with the groups and their distribution. But in terms of just overall solidness, just not only just physically tennis wise, but just mentally, I mean, Joker's just taking the cake. It was insane to see Frank how like the most competitive, thrilling intense match was a match that counted literally for nothing it was against him against medvedev where medvedev was already owned to joker was two and oh they just basically had to go out there because fans bought tickets and they had like one of the most insane matches but you saw the jo- even Djokovic, like theoretically he could have easily just kind of tanked it not quote-unquote tank it but like not try to really win it that much so he can save himself for the next two rounds. But the guy he said could have he load, load, man, load, manage, right? That's a good, good term there. I like that, Frank. So, um, he decided not to, he decided to go full Kobe, just go right for it. Uh, was literally shivering on the court. I don't know what was going on, but uh, the fact that he came out afterwards, won a straight set match against Taylor Fritz, who, by the way, had been playing some really good ball at that tournament, and then just taking out Kasper Root in the final, just like as if it was nothing, really shows us who who he is, what he's about right now. And I think 2023 is going to be a nice little redemption tour for him.
1: Yeah, I don't quite know what to really make of the 2023 season. Like, I'm kind of curious if there's going to be more of a repeat of 2021, where we saw Novak win 27 Grand Slam matches and lose one. (laughs) Like I'm kind of, I'm curious to see if that happens again, but this was a little bit of a statement win for Novak. Not only does he tie Roger Federer's uh, record of six ATP finals one, which I think is a big deal. It's a tournament that again, we place pretty high value on, but beyond that, it really was just Novak strutting his stuff on the rest of the field and saying, Oh yeah, like you guys are still not good enough. (laughs) You're just not as good as me. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, Novak played exceptionally well, like some of the best tennis I've seen him play in, in a while, like since, since 2021, I'll say that he was really just dominant when he needed to be he asserted himself when he needed to he was playing aggressive he played you know the counterattacking points well he completely dominated the baseline against guys that are 10 years younger than him there's just not a lot of things that you can really say there there's really nothing you could say that Novak did wrong like he pretty much played a perfect ATP finals uh, I think, Marcus, you know, the other storyline from this that you pointed out to me before we started here is Daniil Medvedev. So why don't you give us your sort of breakdown on on Daniil Medvedev, who, you know, laid a goose egg at this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can, the Djokovic talk is pretty much done with because there's really not much to talk about. The guy played insane. But the couple of the storylines is, is Daniil Medvedev going 0-3. Uh, Frank and I, I believe we both had him going out of the group stage, making it to the semifinals. Am I we right? We did. That? We
1: both said that he would not, that we were not expecting very much of him.
0: Correct. Yeah. So, um, but zero three is is quite a little bit shocking to me. Now that match against Djokovic was epic. Third set tiebreak, the whole thing. Uh, he started to finally find his rhythm there, but the first two matches when he plays Andre Rublev, his, his his compatriot from from Russia, and uh, and Stefanos Tsitsipas was. A little disappointing because one, he kind of has the game to match up against both of them, especially Sitsipas. He's got a kind of a history with him. Uh, and we were expecting Daniil Medvedev to be, at least on the Breakpoint podcast, um, you know, to, to block off hardcourt events, essentially, and to be like the second best or best hardcourt player in the world behind Novak Djokovic. This was obviously pre-Carlos Alcaraz, but even with Carlos in play, We still consider him a top three hardcore player in the world, and he lost three matches in a row that he probably shouldn't have lost, so he's kind of had a little bit of a hangover since winning his first Grand Slam in 2021. I don't know what to expect of him moving forward. I don't know what happened this tournament, what's going on mentally with him. It seems like he might need a a little break here so he can attack 2023 and kind of figure out what's going on, but my perception of it is he just seems like he's a little bit Maybe burnt out. I don't know. What do you think, Frank?
1: I agree with burnt out. I think that's probably the answer. My thing with Daniil that I find to be the most concerning that you just highlighted is that these are guys that Daniel really used to own. Like, he owned Rublev. He owned Pass. And now, all of a sudden this year, those guys have started to beat him. And that, for me, and, and on his surface, like on a hard court. And that, for me, is a really concerning thing because that sort of says to me, like, is this guy already declining (laughs) question mark, which I think sometimes, sometimes it's really hard to contextualize tennis, particularly for people our age, because all we've seen is people is the big three. Like we've seen these guys win slams continuously over and over again with zero mental, you know, faults in them and like zero loss of drive, really. And like they always just kept their foot on everybody's throats and won. And we sort of, I think, expect that of anyone who wins a Grand Slam, you know, post big three era. And that's just historically not what tennis is. Like, it's very rare that people go on sort of like blocking hard courts or blocking clay. Like it's very rare that that happens. Like It takes an all time great player to do that. And Daniil Medvedev is is not an all time great player, at least right now he's not, and I don't think he will be. Um, You know, it's it's really hard. I mean, it's not anything different than, I mean, it is different in the sense of like Dominic Team has been injured and that's why. But like, it's not really all that different. Like Dominic Team sort of had the same thing where like the second he won that Grand Slam, it was almost just like mentally and physically, it looked like he. He just didn't have it anymore. Like that will, that extra like 10% of adrenaline juice that goes into these big matches, he lost. And that ten percent at this high of a level on the tour makes the difference between winning and losing. And that's what I think is wrong with Daniel Medvedev.
0: Yeah, especially on a consistent basis, right? Guys like Feder, Novak, um, you know, Nadal, they always find a way to re-motivate themselves, re-kind of calibrate. You know, they take it like personally, like Michael Jordan, you know, talks about like it's a thing with these guys. And I feel like the new generation is kind of like they they put them on the upper echelon of, of tennis gods, which they are. And then once they can beat them and win a grand slam and be considered, you know, in their group, they're like, all right, well, w- you know, w- what else is there to achieve? There is more to achieve, obviously, but in their minds, maybe something kind of clicks wrong, where it's like, "Oh, that's kind of it. Let's just tap out. Let's just keep playing and have fun and stuff." I don't know what's going on with him, um, but that that was a big storyline for me, Frank. Another storyline, which is really a short one and not a shocking one. Rafael Nadal uh, does not win the ATP Tour Finals, and he still only has one indoor hardcore tile uh, to his name.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give you I'll give you credit for this one. You were completely you completely called that one. I was expecting a lot more from Nadal, but I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head that we just should not be expecting really anything from him on an indoor hard court surface. No matter unless he like seriously adapts his game, which I thought that he would, but he very much just did not. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I don't really know if there's anything more to say there other than like Nadal nope. just, just looked like he needed a break. So he's going to yeah. go on his yacht in Mallorca
0: and, fish and that's it got respect good for him uh, uh yeah. we got well frank another storyline i believe that you wanted to talk about which one faa uh, well that that's that's one Are we talk talking yeah. about taylor fritz uh let's let, let's get faa out of the way OK,
1: FAA. I mean, he choked. That's that's it. I mean, I don't, I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, it's the same thing over and over again. We called it here I, on PPP. I Like it's it's the same things over and over again. The guy just like has this run where he plays really well. And like you see him like whip Nadal and you're just like, oh, like this is great. Like he'll you know, he'll do something with that. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, I lost to Taylor Fritz now. And it's like, no disrespect to Taylor Fritz. I think Taylor Fritz, you know, good for him, dude. Like get to the to the semifinals of the tour finals after being the sort of lucky, you know, ninth seed. That's awesome. Like, good for you. I, I love it. But you know, it's it's just like FAA you is you can like never he's... you can never consider this guy to win in in a grand slam when he just can't beat, like he can't consistently beat players who are better than him. He just can't do it. It's he's so like,
0: he's so streaky. He's like that girl that you go on a date with and it's a really good date and then you expect her to call back, but she doesn't call back. That's how reliable FAA is. All right. That's how reliable he is. That's
1: I think that's an understatement. But I mean he's the he's the girl that you schedule the date at eight PM with and she shows up at four o'clock in the morning. Like I <laughs> like I don't should. At least he showed I, up. I mean <laughs> Whatever, dude. I, I, you know, there's so many moments where I watch him play where I'm just like, dude, he has got all of the weapons in the world. And then he just double faults like three times in a row. And I'm just like, okay, like, I just, I don't know what to do. Like, genuinely, I don't, I don't know what to do with him.
0: So you think it's a mental thing with him? Like I'm trying to figure it out because I mean we've talked about his backhand before on the show about how but that's it's gotten a little... better.
1: It looks a lot better. Th-
0: that's what I'm saying. It's getting better. The forehand, the forehand's great. The serve is great. Like he's got great, you know, body composition is perfect. Like gets around I... the court quickly. Just I trying to. A, I think
1: it's think it's a. I think it's a tactics thing. I think number one, which also is probably a mental thing. I I just think that he doesn't know and like this is something that even on the amateur level like we could talk about like there's a difference between playing really nice tennis and winning tennis there's a very distinct big difference and i still think that faa has to learn that and that that sounds ridiculous cuz i'm talking about a player who's in the top 8 in the world so like clearly he knows how to freaking win but like i think in crucial big time matches where he just where he can't where his natural gifts are not able to just overwhelm his opponent. He, he breaks down every time like a house of cards. And there's obviously rare, there's exceptions where like he does like have the juice that day. And along with his physical gifts, he is unstoppable. Like when he won 16 matches in a row, not too long ago, it's, it it is an unstoppable to play, to play against. Like the guy beat Carlos Alcaraz fresh off the U S open. like, it, I, I understand that it's a little bit of a hangover but like still the guy did it. You got to give him credit for
0: it. Oh, for sure. The question and, with with him is really not so much like he can pretty much beat anybody below him. The the question is yeah. how is he going Anyone to Anyone do... who's
1: sub top 15 in the world
0: he can he, beat he beats... and he doesn't have to play well. No, and he does it on a very regular basis. He doesn't really lose too many matches that he shouldn't be losing, but when it comes to him playing against his contemporaries in the top 10 or in the top 15 it's just where we run into issues with him, man. It's just like when, and, when, uh, the, when are we going to see it? The thing is, is that they're not just losses; they're
1: bad losses. That's the thing. Is it's not like it's some like five set epic. It's like, you know, like a guy like Taylor Fritz. Like, f I love Fritz. We spoke about how much we love Fritz. FAA should be beating him, and he loses to him six two in the third. Like the first match against Casper Ruud. Who again? I think Casper Rude had great tour finals. Made the finals again. Another sneaky good Casper Rude result that no one saw. Like, yep. I didn't. I don't think either one of us necessarily thought he would be bad, but like, I don't think we expected him to make the finals. We
0: didn't think that he would do this well against the best eight players in the world on an indoor hard court. We did no. certainly not think that. So, no. shout out to Casper.
1: Yeah, shout out to Casper. Great job. And like, Casper beats him seven six six four two sets. Like. That's a that that match is the perfect encapsulation of somebody who knows how to win versus somebody who has all the physical gifts in the world but is still learning how to win. I think that is like if you put Casper Ruud's mentality in FAA's body, the the guy would win every like match. <laughs> it would be crazy. But say Levy. Moving on. Um, Taylor Fritz. I think we just talked about. Did really good i'm very proud of him super like this is uh, i hope this is the beginning of a breakthrough in taylor's career i think he did really great and like this has been a uh, home run season for him so good for him very happy uh the th- the last person that i think we wanted to talk about was stefano sitsipas so marcus why don't you give us a little bit of a breakdown on on what happened with steph
0: this tournament yeah a little disappointing um i I had him as kind of a, a quote-unquote dark horse making it through out of the group stage into the semifinals. Uh, he's won this tournament before. He's now, I believe, two in the world even after this. But uh, you know, kind of was hoping for him to get a result here, at least take out uh, Medvedev, um, which he did, and then hopefully, you know, I wasn't expecting him to beat Joker, but I think I, I thought that he was going to beat Rublev um, for that that, that tiebreak match, but. A little disappointing for him. He's got to go back to the drawing board, figure out what's going to work for him, what's not working for him. It seems like he's just kind of, he's just very mentally unstable in those key moments and matches. He'll go in a streak where he plays really well and everything's fine. But once it starts going the other way, once the other guy starts adjusting his strategy and his tactics, he starts to lose his mind a little bit. He's got to, I mean, dude, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm saying something that's crazy. But like, he's got to figure out the situation with his parents in the box. It's really, yeah. it's really yeah, yeah, ruining yeah, yeah. No, the guy's gets, career. He's got, he's got,
1: he's, got to, he's got to get at it. He, I, I mean, I've been saying this for the past year. They need to go. They need to exit his box. Exit, you know, his like coaching situation. He's got to have somebody from the outside. He very clearly would benefit by having somebody from the outside who's exclusively actually, not like together yeah, yeah, the way they have it right now, where no. it's just
0: like, oh, we're gonna co-coach him, but. I'm going to yell at him during the match and you know whatever whatever agreement that we had. No, he F needs that. somebody
1: no. who who he needs to have a professional working relationship as their coach because it's very clear that he has a person like obviously not to his fault has a personal relationship with his dad and that is just not that's that's not being not productive. productive and additive to his career at this point. It's not like somebody like uh Sasha Zverev who benefits from that. Who seems to like be better when his circle is a lot smaller, um, and and more, you know, close to the hip, so to say. I think that Steph very much needs like just somebody who's purely from the outside who can really give him like challenging coaching advice. You know, I'm I'm curious to see if there's somebody like a. I mean, you'd think like somebody like a. Uh, Darren Cahill would really be perfect for Stefano Sitsi Pass, but he's obviously with Yannick Center. I think a Brad Gilbert would be really, really good for Sitsi for Pass. Like, just somebody that knows, like, how to, again, like somebody knows how to, like, win number one, obviously, and somebody who has coached at this high of a level and knows what it takes to sort of get there. Like, Brad Gilbert did that for Andre at the end of his career and made him, like, get there. And I think that. That Steph has a very limited window here where he's gonna be competitive, you know, like not in the sense like he's gonna fall off the map anytime soon. But yeah, we're talking slam potential. He is he exactly he he has the potential to win this a slam in the next two years. That is, he needs to be in a win now attitude, and he needs a win now coach,
0: and his father is just not that. No, again, we've never questioned his talent. The guy was up two sets of love on Joker in the finals of the French. Talent is not the issue. It's when your dad is making comments and you just go berserk and try to hit a ball at him, and then your mom starts. It's just like, are we, are we, are we watching under twelves again? I mean, I mean, seriously, like, what, what are we doing here? So that, I think that's kind of the, the key step for Steph. So a little disappointing that he couldn't pull it together, and I think that's why he lost, honestly. And and it's kind of a shame to see such a great talent go to waste on silly things like that just on a regular basis
1: yeah I'm I'm with you I I want to see him maximize his potential I think he's got a lot of it so I hope that he makes that coaching change and you know it's a better 2023 from him but I am growing very fatigued of people of players like Pass and FAA where it's just The same, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again with Sitsi Pass and FAA, and I'm expecting a different result. So maybe I'm going insane. But you know, I, I just, whatever. Um, I think the last, I think we've, ironically, I think we've covered every player that was at the tournament except one. So we might as well just wrap it up here. Um, Andre Rublev, very briefly, why don't you give us your thoughts?
0: I thought it was a good showing for him. Uh, I thought he was the underdog in that group. Came out, you know, beat beat Medvedev and and Sitsipas to win it with apparently the, the limited weapons that he has, according to Stefano Tsitsipas, Um, which is just ridiculous for him to say. It's like, come on. But uh, Rublev's firecracker off the ground. Man, if Rublev, I'm telling you, if this guy had a, 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 just a decent second serve and at least a respectable first serve, he would be in slam contention, but that's kind of holding him back, in my opinion. But great result from him all around. Yeah, I think he's a
1: perpetual quarterfinalist,
0: and the results court sort of back
1: that. I think he's just like rock solid, you know, hits the ball, like can dominate the baseline against anyone who's outside the top 20, top 15 in the world. But if you put him in a situation that's not that, I think he struggles. I don't know if he has that like A++ weapon. um. But listen, the the guy, the, the one thing you got to give Rublev over some of the other players that we've spoken about so far, the guy is a machine. Like he works incredibly hard. That is well-established on the tour. Like he spends more time practicing than anybody else. And you're always going to be uh, but, you know, uh, a very strong contender when you have that attitude. Right. So, I, I, Rublev is one of those players that, like, I, I think he has, he's like a classic, like, high floor, low ceiling for me. I just, I don't nearly know if his ceiling is ever Grand Slam. I think his ceiling is like, get lucky with a run and, you know, maybe make a semifinal or a final. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't really think that he's ever going to be one of those guys that, like, is super streaky and, like, loses in first rounds and then wins the tournament the next time out. It's like, no, I think he's just, like, kind of one of these, like, consistent
0: third, fourth round at big tournaments. And, you know,
1: which is good. I mean, listen, that's, that's, that's a really good career. So, yeah. Listen,
0: Frank and I would, uh, pay a lot of money to be in that position. So,
1: yeah, listen, I, I again, my respect for Andre Rublev is like through the roof. I think the guy is a monster. Love him.
0: Yep, he will not cheat you of effort. So uh, that's pretty much all we got here at Breakpoint Podcast for that episode. Uh, Frank and I are going to be releasing a couple over the next few weeks. Uh, we might take a little Christmas break and then we'll get ready for the 2023 season um give us a follow breakpoint podcast seven on instagram frank where else are we now i always forget what handles we got
1: uh it's breakpoint podcast seven everywhere i think we've got a tiktok that i don't use we've got a twitter that like if we started to get some followers i'd use it but instagram is the main sort of place yeah. to find us um and be sure to give us a follow. We're at 199 so we are going to clip 200 quite soon Um, so maybe we'll do something for that. Maybe we'll do like a Q and a on there, something along those lines, but we've got some big plans ready for 2023 that we're excited to share with you guys. And, uh, thanks for listening. We will catch you all next time. See ya. Bye guys.